Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is May the 29th, 2014. We're almost done with this month. Thank you for taking your time out to tune in with me on another episode of The Bright Side with Technisha. I am here with my guest, Cleet, Bu- Cleet Bullock. He is a educator as well. He has taught at the University of Georgia, which that means right here with us in Atlanta. How wonderful. I love it when I get guests who's right here with me. Um, but he's also the co-author of a book called Creating a Culture for a High-Performing School, a Comprehensive Approach to School Reform, dropout prevention, and bullying behavior. And, of course, those are great topics that we can attack on because these are things that our children, they go through every day. So let's welcome Cleet Bullock. How are you today, Cleet? I am doing terrific. I'm glad to be on your show, Technicia. I am. I'm glad, too. Also, let's, not, um, let's also remember that we lost a prolific author, Maya Angelou, so if you still want to call in for comments or give your sympathy out, you can do so at 347-426-3751. Please, I'm, I am. I'm glad to have you on the show because these are things that target children so much in school with the dropout, the bullying, and, and school reform. Can, can you tell us more about your background? Oh, school superintendent, um, principal, teacher, uh, all in Ohio, and then uh, my research and and publications were as a professor starting in 1990. Um, the third edition of the book will be out next year. The second edition, uh, anybody that gets on the website or gets to Barnes & Noble or Amazon to order it should not order the first edition. The second edition is much better, and the third will be even better. Okay, so the one I just mentioned is the first edition. Um, I'm not sure. Did you did you get a copy? Um, I didn't. I try to always go on Kindle and get it. Um, okay. Yeah, I try to get it electronic, but um, I didn't get like the hard copy. Okay. Uh, this the second edition uh, identifies the six causes for low test scores. And, of course, one of the causes is the lack of openness and trust that exists in most schools, particularly in Atlanta, Clayton, DeKalb, and, and Cobb County. And I've been in all those school districts, so I know what I'm talking about. I spent 10 years oh, yeah. uh, training uh, people to be administrators in those schools, and uh, I was in most of Clayton County schools. And I did the uh, research with Atlanta Public Schools in 1999 to 2003 on their character Ed Grant, which involved uh, Mays High School and two of their feeder schools. Um, So I know what I'm talking about when I say levels of openness and trust in these schools tend to be poor. And, of course, in, in our book, I devote many chapters to how to improve uh, 
levels of openness and trust. So I'm not sure where you want to go with all this, Technicia, but um, I'll, just, I'll follow it, your lead. It, Whatever, wherever you want to hit on, go on. Go for it. I was just going to say about you mentioned about allowing. I mean, we got hit hard with just the fact with the teachers, with them making accusations that teachers were cheating, and I didn't find that pretty. I didn't find that cool at all. Cause one thing about it, when we put our children in these schools, we want them to learn. Helping them cheat is not going to help them to learn. You're no. only, you're not benefiting them. So why even make that move? It's either if you do. I feel like this: if you do your job as a teacher and teach, then you won't have to worry about them scores later on. And that's what I feel about my girls the same way. Like they will pass. For instance, they passed my girls to the second grade because you don't want to look bad as a teacher. But my child said has trouble with her reading, even though mommy is doing her part. But you got to do your part as a teacher as well. You can't just say, oh, okay, mom, I need you to do this, X, Y, Z. Okay, so what are you going to do? You you plan with them in school. They don't need you to play with them. I can do that at home. I need you to teach them. And then when I look around, you're passing them to the second grade, but she still don't know at least over 200 words that she needs to know. That's not good at all. Our school systems really suck, especially a lot of public schools. When I went to when I went to Cleveland Avenue Elementary, I learned. I had the old school teachers that really taught you, and if you didn't know, you didn't pass. But I was well advanced. But now these teachers, they seem to me, Cleet, that they want to play with the children, and they don't need that plan. It's okay to teach them to play, to learn a little bit, but at the same time, you got to be focused as a teacher. Stop trying to worry about who's going to look at you if this child kept back and teach the children. That's my only that's my only statement I had to say because it's it's getting ridiculous. And I if, if I could, I would pull them right out and take them to a school that's really gonna do their job. Well, what you're saying, everything you've said is absolutely true. And one of the reasons why that occurred in Atlanta public schools is because of the lack of trust. The teachers right. don't the administration the administration does not trust central office and the superintendent did not trust the school board because everybody kept everything undercover. They didn't right. want to tell people, and here's openness. Openness has two dimensions. There's a telling and a listening dimension. Right. Uh, people were listening to what was coming down the pike, but they weren't telling anybody what they thought about what was coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, openness and trust, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg kind of thing. Yeah. Um, are you open with someone you do not trust? Do you no. trust someone that you're not open with? Which one comes first? I kind of think that uh, the trust comes I, first. Start. I will have to trust you before I've been open to you. I got, I got to know that you're going to be in that same boat. Right. And if you start trusting someone and you begin opening up to them and you find out how they react to that, then you open up a little more, you trust a little more, you open a little more, and eventually, I mean, if you think back on a relationship that involves a husband and wife, mm-hmm. uh, how does that all begin? It begins with a date, and you tell the date something, and you see how they respond to that, and you start trusting them. And then you open a little more, trust a little more, open, tr- and, it, and the cycle goes. And once you have a level of openness and trust, then love is there. 
right. a, a strong relationship. Now, what happens in a school when kids don't trust their teacher? They're not open. How are they going to learn? What happens in a school when teachers don't trust each other? They cover their backs. They don't. You see how this all this cheating cycle started with a right. lack of openness and trust. And when I did the research on Mays High School and their feeder schools, this was in uh, four years, 1999 to 2002. Mm-hmm. I've still got that data if anybody wants it. The okay. levels of openness and trust were the lowest scores in all three schools, the middle school and elementary school that fed into it. The openness and trust scores on the elementary were higher than the middle school, and those were higher than the high school. Um, So openness and trust is at the heart. It's at the heart of communication and relationships. And what happens in a school is all about relationships. Do the kids like their teacher? Do the teachers like the kids? Do the teachers like each other? Why the administration and teachers work together, or do they are they careful? You know. Now, trust has got five dimensions. We can go into that one, but we'll the right uh, we could go right into it. We have we have plenty of time. I do an hour show here. Okay. Trust has got five dimensions. Openness has got two: yes. a telling and a listening. Now, openness is is kind of complicated in a way. Because you can be very open on telling people things, right? And not listen to what they say. That Our president has been accused of being very open on the telling dimension. He tells okay. people what they want to hear. Sometimes he tells them what he thinks. But he doesn't always listen to what other people are saying. He doesn't listen to the politicians in the House and Senate. He pretty much does his thing with executive orders. So he is very open on the telling dimension and not so open on the listening dimension. And you know people like that, don't you? I do. Yes, I do. You hang around them all day. You you also know a few people who are good listeners, but you never mm-hmm. know what they think. Yeah. You know somebody like that? Well, I would say I would say myself. I'm a very good listener. I will. I will actually take into what you're saying. Well, I would agree with you, Technisha. You would have to be to be a, a radio talk show host. You've got to be a good listener, or you won't succeed in that. Why? There are, there are, so a person can be very high on one dimension and low or closed on the other. So that's why that, that's why that factor is so complicated. But now when you go to trust... Truthfulness is one dimension of trust. If you think someone is truthful, you begin trusting them, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, uh, our President Clinton uh, was not was not trusted for truthfulness. <laughs> he, you know, nobody believed what he said when he said, "I did not have sex with that woman." Also, oh, right. He was, he did not, he was not trusted for truthfulness, but he was trusted for his ability. Ability is another factor for trust. If you think someone has ability, you will trust them. Now, 
when when President Obama was running for president, he was trusted for truthfulness and ability. People thought this guy was very able as a leader and would be very able as a president. Now, in that department, ability, that has gone into the low 40%, where people no longer believe he has ability as a leader. Okay? So you've got... You've got truthfulness and ability. Now, here is a third factor that's very important. It's called confidentiality. If you go to someone and you give them something in confidence and then they violate that confidence, what happens to your trust in them? Oh, you lose all respect for them, and I'm sure that's how the other teachers felt when it came down to it. Everybody started telling on one another, well, no, I saw her cheating. She was a race of alphas. Everybody was on line. Yeah. Yeah, that that so confidentiality became a big factor with the cheating scandal in uh, Atlanta public schools. Who finally broke the confidence and told them that they were cheating? And, you know, that's that's when everything went south. When when the confidence was broken and they admitted to various people that cheating did occur. Here's a fourth factor that's very important for trust. It's called predictability. If, if there is a problem and you go to the person, let's say you're a teacher and you've got a problem, and you go to the principal and you tell them the problem, or you're a parent and your kid comes to you with a problem, how do you respond to the person who comes to you with a problem? If you say... You know, if you're very supportive and you show them that you care about them and that you're listening to them and you're going to help them with the problem, then you're going to trust them. But if you go to them the next time with a problem and they say, hey, man, I don't want to hear that. Get out of here. Go, go solve your own problem. I don't want to hear it. So your predictability as a leader or as a parent and how you handle problems determines the level of trust that's going to occur when problems occur, and problems occur in every marriage, in every relationship, and they occur with you and the people you interact with. If you're predictable in the way you handle problems, they will trust you when the next time a problem comes up. Do you agree with that, Technicia? I do. I do agree with you, Cleet. Okay, so now we got four of the factors. we got predictability confidentiality, ability, and truthfulness. The fifth factor is an overall character factor, but it really boils down to two things. When you interact with someone, do you perceive that they care about you as a person? If you perceive that they care about you, you're going to start trusting them. Then as you watch their behavior, a second character factor comes into play. Do they come across as self-serving, or do they come across as serving you, your needs? If they care about you, they're going to want to help you with your problems, with meeting your needs. Does that make sense? It does, and I I, I do understand that too, Cleeton. I think that's why we have so many school shootings most of the time because these children are not feeling that someone is 
that they could trust these teachers. Somewhere it's got to be a connection somewhere. We're not communicating with these children because I'm sure if they communicate, a lot of these school shootings will, will be prevented. Just that, for instance, we just had another one in California. I mean, who 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 is talking to these kids? No, no one is doing that anymore. They they have to, like you said, they're not feeling that trust. They're not feeling that ability for that trust, that confidentiality. They're not getting all of that. So okay, I don't feel none of this. I don't believe what you're saying. People around making fun of me. I'm going to go shoot up twenty more people, and then let me go ahead and kill myself while I'm at it. That's uh, you're right. Everything you said, I will. I can agree with. Uh, caring is a very important human relations. Um, I talk in the book. I talk about the five basic needs of all people. Okay. Openness and trust is very much a part of meeting those needs. Here are the five basic needs that you have, Technicia, that I have, that every kid has. Okay, 99% of the people in this world want to be alive. There are a few who want to kill themselves. Yeah, there are some. But almost everyone listening to you wants to be alive, right? Okay, number two. Everyone listening to this talk show wants moments of happiness in their life. We don't want, need to be happy all the time, but a life with no happiness at all is not a life. That is, you know, bad. That is very bad. So, and we can go back to the 18th and 19th century. The philosophers and psychologists talked about these two needs that people have. They want to be alive and they want to be happy. Then you get a, you come along to the late 19th century, and there was a philosopher on there, and I'm having a I'm having a senior moment here now. Um, it's it's in my it's in my book, but I'm I'm having a senior moment here now. Uh, he said, "Life is about power. It's about control. Power, with power, you gain control, and everyone." listening to this station, wants to have some control of what happens in their life. If you have no control of your life, how do you feel? It's an awful feeling. It is. If you have complete control, it's a very high. When you're in control, you feel good. Do you agree with that? Yes. Ignisha, you agree with that? Okay. I do. I agree with it all the way. I want to have that control. But let me ask, Cleet, sure. I think it's okay to give people control, but do you want them to have too much control? Because some, some people are control freaks. It goes right to their head. For instance, yes. when you're at a job, people get a certain Every- position. Yeah, they get a certain position, Cleet, and then it goes to their head like, okay, now I need you to do everything. Uh-uh, wait a minute. You wasn't doing that before you got this position. Don't start now. Like, they just get out of control especially most of us women, and, and, and women know what I'm talking about. We definitely have our control because we already have to compete in a, what they feel like a man's world. So <laughs> I don't know if I want to give a person too much power. Well, here's, here's the secret to being a leader. You, a leader cannot give up control, okay? Okay. But... A leader has to give control without giving it up. If you're okay. a principal, you cannot give up control of that school. If you're a teacher, you cannot give up control in that classroom. But how right. do you give 
How do you give control to the kids without giving it up? And that's the secret to being a great teacher, a great parent, or a great principal. Let me give you one little technique on what a teacher can do to give up, to give control to the kids without giving it up. Want to hear one? Yes, sir. Okay. The teacher goes to the kids and says, guys, I really would like to know what you expect of me as your teacher. Okay. And the kids all look at the teacher incredulous. You want you want us to tell you what we expect of you as our teacher? Because what are kids accustomed to? The teacher telling them what they expect, right? Why? Okay. So the kids, you know, they say, you want us to tell you what we expect? The teacher's given the kids control. Hasn't given it up. Yeah, I want to know what you expect. Here, I'm going to give you three three-by-five cards. On each card, I'd like to know what you expect of me as your teacher. And the kids get the cards, and they write down there what they expect of their teacher. So if if the teacher has 20 kids in the classroom, the teacher now has 60 cards. And the teacher, because there's one expectation on each card, can sort them into common piles quickly. So within a matter of 30 minutes to an hour, the teacher has maybe 10 12, 13 piles where there are similar expectations in each pile. And the teacher kind of paraphrases what's in each pile and goes back to the kids and says, this is what you said you expect of me, and puts them up on the board. I'm going to try to do the best I can to meet your expectations. Here's an expectation you have of me that I can't meet. And I don't know what that might be. Um, Why? But there may be some expectations. But when all of that, you see what's happening here, the level of openness and trust that, that's being built between Why? the kids I, and the... I even had one of my professors do that in class, and it was different. He said, I want you to tell me what you expect out of this class. And I thought that was pretty cool because it's giving you the options now. Okay, this is what I want to happen instead of you give me a bunch of assignments and I'm still not learning something. So, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Like you said, you're not giving the students the power, but you're just interacting with them to give you a little feedback. But I'm still controlling this class. So, yeah, I do understand that. It's yeah. You see, you what? go ahead. I was gonna say, would you say that's the same way to prevent bullying? Like, you show, you don't give the bully all your power because that's that's one way for them to take on what they feel is a weakness. But you let them know, I'm not gonna stand for this because I was bullied in school too. I didn't get in any fights, but I was verbally abused with all that with with girls and stuff in school. Yeah, you're right. The the worst thing you can do with a bully is to allow them to control you because bully has a high need to control, and that's why they do it. Now, if you give them control, they're going to continue to bully you. If you do not give them control, they will not continue to bully you because you're not meeting their control needs. Now, I was also a victim of bullying because I was five foot four and weighed 125 pounds as a high school senior. I was the littlest kid in the entire class and almost the entire school. There were ninth graders who were six foot tall and weighed 200 pounds compared to me, you know. 
and I dealt with it by verbally encountering them. I would say, what's the matter with you, big guy? Can't you find somebody littler than me to pick on? Are you right. afraid to pick on somebody your own size? Are you a wuss? And I would engage them verbally in banter. And they eventually left me alone because I made a fool out of them in front of their their friends. And I'd say, well, go ahead and hit me. You're probably going to clean my clock, but that's your problem. It's not mine. And uh, once once I gave, once I said, go ahead, hit me, hit me, go ahead, hit me. You see how what I was doing there? I, I was controlling them. And I said, hit me, go ahead, hit me. I was controlling them. And the strange thing was, when you tell somebody to do it, they won't do it. It's a crazy Why? phenomenon, this bullying behavior thing. There, There is, by way, on my website, there is a survey that measures bullying behavior uh, okay. in schools, and I've used it in many, many schools across the United States. Uh, and anybody who gets on my website, that there are six surveys on there uh, that are free. One measures bullying behavior. One measures the caring behavior of teachers. Um, one measures the behavior of principals as seen by teachers. One measures the culture and climate of schools, which is what I used with the Atlanta public schools back in 1999 and 2002. And one measures character behavior, and that's the one I used with uh, Mays High School and the uh, two Peter schools. And there's one on there that measures levels of openness and trust between a leader and the teachers or between a leader and um, uh, any in any organization. It also can be changed to measure levels of openness and trust in a group. So you can measure levels of openness and trust between the teachers in a building if you wanted to. Right. Uh, all of those are free. I don't charge for those. So you can okay. get on there. Send me an email, and I will send you a, a an attachment with the survey. So um, go ahead. I, I was, I was going to say, which is a great offer. I appreciate you for giving us that information, so we can get your book. What would you say are other ways students can prevent from being bullied? Sometimes it's not so easy to feel like, okay, I, if I say something the wrong way, yes, I will get beat up. Because I was like that, but I did what you did, too. When I was in middle school, I stood up to my boy. I told her, hit me. And she moved back and forth. And she was like, no, go on ahead and hit me. I was like, please don't hit me for real because I don't know how to fight. My mother didn't teach me, so please don't hit me. But I made up. I made, so help me. I made up. I went and told my stepfather. He got involved. But I felt good because at least I did stand up to her. But I got Jones. Yes, what what they call kicking on. I got Jones. Oh, you... Oh, you still didn't do nothing. I was like, well, it's all right. My, my dress clean. And my face got messed up. <laughs> well, I did what you did, clean. Yeah, well, that's interesting that you did that. And that was, that is one thing to do. You cannot give control to the bully. If you take control away from the bully, the bully will leave you alone. Right. Uh, they'll find other victims who, who, will let them control. So control is a big, is one of, there. let's go back to the five basic needs, and let me finish that, and then we'll come back to how can you avoid being bullied, okay? So we got life, happiness, and control. Caring is the fourth basic need that all humans have. They, they want to know that someone cares about them. 
I mean, right. your own your own parents. It starts with your parents and your siblings. If you know your brothers and sisters care about you and your mom and dad care about you, you've got a big step in life already taken. If you perceive that your parents don't care about you and your brothers and sisters don't care about you, that is awful. Then you go to school. And and I have the data. 50% of the kids go to school believing that their teachers don't care about them. Why? That's why um, they kill them. Why are they doing what they're doing? Because everybody don't care. The origin for this book, I was the evaluator of the entire state of West Virginia on the, every school district in the state. I, I went there and I asked them, what do you like about your school? What don't you like about your school? I asked the kids that. In every school district in the state, I went five months. It took me five months to do this, and that's what the book came out of. What do kids say they like about their school? And they said, the teachers. And I says, cool, that's great. What don't you like about your school? And they said, the teachers. I says, whoa, wait a minute. Tell me about this. And they said, well, some of our teachers, they care about us. We can talk to them. They'll listen to us. They help us understand our problems. They are, they are there to help us. And we get back to this self-serving thing versus servant-oriented. 50% of the teachers, they said, they, were, they are here to help us. They are our servants. The other 50%, they don't care about us. All they want is their paycheck. They can't wait to retire. They come in with their cup of coffee, prop their feet up on it, and look at us and say, you guys want to learn? I'm here to teach. You don't want to learn? That's your, it's your business. Ah, right, you have something to tell you. I got my education, so you get yours. And it's like, no, that's not the proper way to talk. The children, as we said before, Cleet, that's why we have these school shootings, because somewhere someone is telling these kids that you're not caring about them. You're focusing on maybe the athlete or something like that, just like the Columbia High School shooting. I'm sure somebody would have really talked to those boys, really sat down with them instead of writing them off. Oh, they look like they normal. Yeah, sure, they're coming in the summer with a hot trench coat on, so they're normal. And everybody's sitting up there, oh, yeah, we're not worried about them. It's, it's 100 degrees. Yeah, sure. they just normal. But, I mean, that, that's where we got to stop the problem. Even for these college school students, it's getting, it's getting more and more ridiculous. I thought the school shootings will have decreased, but they're increasing. Yeah, somebody, it's, it's it is crazy. The, it uh, is. The, the fifth basic need that all people have is purpose. Yeah. A life with no purpose is no life. Uh, so you got purpose, caring, control, happiness, and life itself. Now, you take the California shooter, okay? He was rejected by girls. They would not date him. So he had no control with when it came to the dating scene. They didn't care about him, okay? His purpose in life, he, he really had none. He He played video games, but beyond that... And this kid was not happy. So you take away purpose, control, caring, and happiness, what's this kid going to do? He's going to do something. And in his case, he took a gun, which gave him control. You put a gun in somebody's hand, and they have control. And they have purpose. I'll show them. So, and that happens in, in any of the cases. If you, you can look at all the shooters, they... 
the, the guy that killed, who was in the doctoral program out in Colorado, they, mm-hmm. they took him out of the program. He wasn't going to be a graduate doctoral student anymore, and he couldn't get admitted in any other ones. So he had lost control and purpose and believed nobody cared. Wasn't happy. What did he do? Gets a gun and shoot. Now, not everybody becomes a shooter. Some no. people who have no control, who are not happy and have no purpose, they resort to drugs, alcohol. Some commit suicide. They don't go out and kill anybody. They kill themselves. Uh, a person whose needs aren't being met is going to do something. And what they do depends on the person. Some people who believe others don't care and have no control and no purpose, they join a gang. That's why in many high schools today, gang culture is so prevalent. If you believe the teachers don't care and the other kids don't care and you have no control and no purpose, what are you going to do? A gang gives you that. It gives you other people in the gang who care. Yeah, they control you in the gang. But with the gang, you gain control over what's outside the gang. You see how that all works together? Right, yes. Okay, now let's go back to the bully, the bullying. Um, There is a technique that's been around for uh, decades called the sociogram. And any of your parents listening out there, or kids, or teachers, the sociogram is a technique that you can use to identify a potential shooter, a victim, someone who's being bullied. And here's how it works. And it's so simple, you'd say, well, God, that sounds so simple. And it is. Every teacher in the building or counselor, a counselor in a school can do this, or every teacher in each classroom can do this. You go to the kids and you say, if you were going to have a birthday party, will you identify the kids you would invite to your party? Okay? And you give them three-by-five cards, and you say, write each kid's name on each card, okay? So you get all the cards back from all the kids, and you take each kid's name with a card, and you throw it into that pile where that kid's name is. And you're going to have some kids who will get invited by all 20 kids in a classroom. They want that kid at their party. And lo and behold, you find out that there's one kid in that class who isn't invited by anybody, nobody. Do you see where the problem in that classroom is? Mm-hmm. That kid yes. is going to do something eventually. Right. You've got a kid who believes nobody cares about him, a kid who is probably not happy, a kid who has no control over what's going on in that classroom because nobody nobody sits with them, nobody talks to them, nobody does anything with them. Taking on them every... Yeah. This kid is going to do something. But, but, Cleet, what I would like to know is why is it always the males that's doing the school shoot? I don't never hear anything about females. Is it that we take it differently? Because, I mean, I didn't... I mean, when I got bullied, I didn't have that on my mind. I was like, okay, well, when I get older, maybe I'll give me a job and you'll come and get this job and I will fire you. You won't get it. <laughs> that was on my mind. But these boys are taking it. It seems like it's the males doing the school shooting. They tend to I be know. white. 
They tend to be right. white. Right, and I know it just can't be only males going through this peer pressure. It's got to be the females, but you don't never hear nothing about females on the news, though. Well, remember I said life's five basic needs? Yes, sir. Um, Life, happiness, control, caring, and purpose. Okay. Right. Now, females tend to have different needs than males. Okay. Um. Black females have a higher need for control than white females. Oh, okay. Because the the black male is tends to be dominated by black females, and okay. the white white females tend to be dominated by white males. So white males have a higher need for control than females. Okay. Uh, in the black culture. Black females have a higher need for control than black males. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I can't say with definitivity that what I've just said is fact. I'm basing okay. this on my opinion of having sat in many classrooms. I'm 75 years old and I'm a young 75. I've sat in thousands and thousands of classrooms and watched this interaction that occurs between males and females and between teachers and administrators. Um, Anyway, uh, I I think that's why it tends to be white males that are males that tend to do the shooting. And you're absolutely correct. Females tend not to get a gun. They will do other ways. They have other ways to get their control needs met than than, uh, males do. So... Taking a gun is not the prevalent way that females get their control needs met. Control needs are crazy needs, and they vary so much between people. Like you said earlier, there are control freaks out there. Right. And there are are principals who are bullies. They Mm -hmm. have high control needs, and they bully their faculty. Um, there are teachers who are bullies, and they bully right. the kids. They do. Uh, embarrass them. You saw that. Right, they uh, do. And it is unfortunate that everybody's control needs are different. There are some people who have, who will allow others to control them. And, and of course, if you get a student who who will allow others to control them, the bullies soon target that person. And they become victims um, until eventually they snap. And they will get a gun and go back and kill kill the bully or kill students. But they, will, they may go home and commit suicide. They may yes, go home but... and get they may go home and get drugs. They may they may join a gang because the gang will protect them. Now in my case, my big brother uh, was my protector. Yeah, I didn't and, have that. Yeah, and uh, until he graduated, you know, people pretty much left me alone because they didn't want Wes, who was pretty big and strong, to mess I with him. I wish I was a big brother. <laughs> I knew uh, I wish I had a big brother. Look, I'm about to go get my big brother right now. I'll be right back. Because some people grew up with that. Like, my mother, she had nine, eight sisters. See, I didn't have that protection. It was just only me, and I was like, Mom, why don't you just show me how to fight? 
That was did not you? in her vocabulary for me to fight. Just go get your education. I was like, darn it. But I guess it did help me get through because after a while, the bullying stopped till I got to high school. Then it was the same thing with that. But now that I'm grown, it's like, okay, now you can't really bully me. Even though some people do try that, but now I have a voice. I can speak up. No, I'm not going to take this. <laughs> we don't even have to put hands on each other, but I'm not going to take that. And you're right. That's why these children result to that because these teachers, they're a, they're a big boys. They show it on TV all the time. If, um, what's that coach, Cleet, that was talking, that talked to the his team players abusively? See, they be doing the exact same thing, and they're no better than the children. How can the children yeah. learn to us if we're doing the exact same stuff, you know, in class, hitting on hitting on um special need children, like one teacher on the news, they, um, the teacher abused the special need child. You're supposed to be teaching the child, that the child bit her or something. So you beat the child up, put marks on him because he, he, he don't know any better. He's autistic. And so, I mean, what are, what are we showing these children? We're not showing them no better than that. That's why, that's why we do have bullies. And I think sometimes this bullying has come from home, too. The bullies get, they get abused at home, so... My parents all y'all to me, so I'm going to go and bother this other person who has completely done nothing to you. That, that is a good observation, um, uh, Keisha. Um, Thanks. The, uh, many times the bully is abused at home. Right. Uh, which, in other words, there is a parent who over-controls them. So the bully's needs for control are not not being met at home, so the bully goes to school and gets them met there. Or joins a gang and becomes a, a gang leader and bullies. <laughs> the, the gang leader oftentimes is a bully. Uh, it gets their control needs by ordering the gang around. A gang controls very much the people inside the gang, and the leader of that gang usually tends to be a bully and is a dangerous person. Um, so, but within a gang, you gain control over those who are not in the gang, those outside the gang, because the gang protects it, protects the people in the gang. Now, when you went to school, uh, did you join any group like a chorus group or band or, that's one other way to avoid being bullied. You join, um, one of the extracurricular activities if you're a member of the basketball team, the rest of the team will stand up for you. If you're a member of the football team, they will stand up for you. You see what I'm saying? I did. I joined certain little groups. Like I joined, well, I was more of the nerd. I joined the newspaper um, committee. I did the National Junior National Beta Club, uh, the Spanish Club, things of that sort. But I usually would try to hang around maybe like the good person who was popular then that would stop everybody else from bothering me. But I think the only reason why a lot of people went fighting me because they considered me small. It was like, why why would you beat up on this small little girl? Because I'll never forget when I was in my math class and um, the young lady person that fell in front of me. So uh, I picked it up. All of a sudden she exploded. What you doing touching my purse? I said, your purse fell, so I'm picking it up. She over here touching my purse, about to beat me up. So everybody jumped in and said, seriously. You're going to really fight her and look how big you are and she's small. But that wasn't the fact I want them to do for me. I want them to tell her, your purse fell and she's picking it up like, 
Why? Because I'm small. Let her know her purse literally fell, and I was just picking it up. I was like, my God. Maybe I should have just left it on the ground. <laughs> I couldn't wait for losing Cleet. I just couldn't wait to graduate out of high school. I was rushing through. I was like, let me just get my A's and B's. Let me just go on to college, and I would never have to see these people again. <laughs> That's interesting. What you What you have just said sounds so much like me. My four, the four worst years of my life were high school. Right. Um, after I got out of high school, all of a sudden I found out that I really had ability. And, uh, you know, I was a four-year woodshop, four-year ag major, four-year vocal music major. <laughs> you can imagine what kind of preparation I had to, to go to the university. When I finally went to a university, they looked at my transcript and they said, you can't go here. You don't have any preparation for this. And I went to one of the first two-year schools back in 1960 when they started opening up these two-year technical colleges. I got in one of those. And I okay. found, out, found out that I was pretty smart and eventually went on to get my doctorate. But yeah, high school was not good for me, and sounds like it was something you were glad to get out of, too. But you seem to have done okay with yourself. Well, I, I try. I try, and I, I just figure that now I see the same people who actually did harm to me verbally, and I see them now as I got older, and I, I laugh. And I'm like, really? This? And now they have children, so I just hope they don't take them same tactics and teach their children to do that, because it's, it is hurtful. And sometimes it's like, thank God I didn't lead to drugs or suicide and I'm still here making it, but others don't have that opportunity. And that's why I want parents out here today, if you're listening to this show, please, if you're teaching your children that, if you even see your child doing that, please stop it because it's not cool at all. And now it's going through our computers to cyberbullying, and it's, it's very sad. We have to stop this, and first the parents got to stop it because some of them are, fine, are the criminals right behind it. But, you know, please, I think they're passing the law now. They're, you're able to sue the parents for bullying. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's let's, a great uh, idea. Let's talk. Uh, I'm sure you've got parents listening. Parents, how do you give control to your kids without giving it up? That's, that's the secret to being a good parent. You have to give your kids control. But you cannot give it up. The most, the worst parent in the world is the one who allows kids to control them, and you see that in Walmart every day. You can go into Walmart and you watch kids who are controlling their parents, and that's that's not good. The other thing is when a parent controls their kids and does not give them any control, that is also bad. Let me give you a simple technique. Um, you have to give your kids choices. When they don't make the right choice, you take control back. You say, well, what are you going to wear tomorrow? So you give your kid the choice. What are you going to wear? And the kid says, well, I'm going to wear this and that. And the parents agrees with it. Okay. I, that, I, don't, I don't think that's a good thing to wear to school. You need to think of something else. What else can you wear? So you keep giving them choices until they make the right choice. Um, Particularly, here's, here's a parent who's got a teenager, 17-year-old kid, heading out the door with the car keys. Son or daughter, what time are you going to be in tonight? That's the parent who gives control. What time are you going to be in tonight? I'm waiting for the kid to give the right answer. Dad, you know, I'll be in at 
curfew, midnight. I'll be in a bit by midnight. The kid gives the right answer. The kid, dad says, okay, have a good evening. If the kid says, what do you mean what time am I going to be in? I'll be in when I get ready. Uh-huh. The kid didn't give the right answer. No, I need right. to know time you plan to be in the night. I want to know a specific time you're going to be in the night. Throws the ball back to the kid. What time are you going to be in the night? Until the kid gives the right answer, the kid does not get the keys and doesn't go out the door. If the kid doesn't, the father says, look, if you want those keys again, you are going to be in tonight by midnight or you aren't going to get the car keys anymore. The parent takes control back. So a parent cannot give up control. But there are always choices. You know, you can say, when are you going to do your homework? Choice. When do you plan to turn the TV off? Choice. Always make the kid make the decision because you want your kid to make responsible decisions. If you always, if you always tell them what to do, you aren't giving them the chance to make the decision. Okay. That reminds me of my other guest. Um, his name was... His name is Dr. Chris Weiner, and, of course, my children was diagnosed with ADHD, but in his book he explains that, like, you kind of give them the option instead of always being the dictator, always being that controlling, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to do. And I still get in that little mode. I guess that's the way I was raised. Like, you do it now or you get, or you get nothing, no results. But at the same time, I do. I'm glad you brought that back. I need to refresh myself, so I give them the option, okay, what would you rather do? And then we will see if that really works. But you're not, you're not going to get too much control at eight years old, but I, would, I, I can work on that. Well, we can, well, we can work around this at the scene. Yeah, you know, you can say to the kid, do, do you want to clean up the bathroom or take out the trash? Oh, okay. You know, see, that's good. The kid has to like choose one of them. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I like it. That makes sense. When I was a, an assistant principal, I never imposed discipline on any of the students. I, would have, I was in an inner city school. I had 700 seventh graders that I had to discipline. I would see 20 to 30 a day. And every time I said, what did you do? And if they said something different than what the teacher wrote, I'd say, okay, here's the consequence. Do you want to take this or that? I would always make them choose the punishment. And in that way, I was never imposing my control on them, but I never gave it up. I always made them choose between a rock and a hard place. And parents can do that too. Give your kid the option. Give your kids control, but don't give it up. Never give it up. Right. Yes, that makes perfect. That makes perfect sense. Same way. So um, what are some steps, please, that you think teachers can take to be more successful in class, especially when it comes to these standardized tests? Oh, I hate the way they do these tests today. Uh, I mean, um, I I have a teacher, one of my kids, um, the tests come, come from central office, and they have to give the test so that – the teacher has no control over the testing procedure, and that's awful. You should be able to create a test based on what you taught and not based on what central office thinks you should teach. So, again, we have this control thing. 
teachers are over controlled. Um, I'm, uh, you know, we have to have tests. Uh, just like we need to determine miles per gallon in cars, we need to know what miles per gallon a car will get. Don't we need to know how smart a kid is? How are you going to find out how smart? You've got to give them some kind of test. Right. Now, the, the appropriate test should be based on what was taught, not what, not what someone thinks you should have taught. And that's one of the great, and I'm sure you will agree with this, Technicia. Haven't you gone into a classroom to take a test, and the test is not what you studied? Oh, isn't that awful to realize, I didn't study that. I studied for this. Yes, yes, yes. I will have to say that, yes, I did go through that incident, and the teacher had to apologize. Like, no, we didn't go over that, so had to give us a free little credit. I wish all of them, I wish I could have made that excuse for some of them, but I don't recall this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's unfortunate that many kids out there, school, studying for a test, and what's on the test is not what was taught. And that's unfortunate. Right. Now, I was fortunate enough because when we took our high school graduation test, the things that they did go over with us, and they prepared us. There was no cheating or nothing. They prepared us, and it was exactly the same way, and it was like, wow, this, they really prepared us. So I passed with flying colors. I was so excited passing all five parts at one time, and they still doing it. And I, I really think it's sad that they hold you back just for one uh, part of the test, like they showed on the news uh, about weeks ago. Well, he was special needs, but he could still function. He missed the science part, and now they don't want him to graduate. And I was like, oh, that's so pitiful, but he worked so hard. Can we just let him? Can we just let him? Do we have to punish him that bad just for science? I mean, he's not even probably going to be a science teacher. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else do you think we need to cover here? No, here's another technique you teachers can use. Okay. When I was a teacher, I had the kids set the rules. I'd say, what rules do you want me to enforce in this classroom? Hmm. See, I was listening to the kids. I was trusting them. I was open to them. We have to improve levels of openness and trust between kids and teachers and between each other. Um, And that's another, how do you give kids control without giving it up? There's a whole list of things that teachers can do, and we probably don't have time to go into that now, but asking the kids to set the rules with three three-by-five cards, right, one rule on each card, and if there's a rule that you want that the kids don't say, you just put it in. They won't know it. But when the rules go up, and it's the kids' rules, it's an entirely different relationship between the teachers and the kids, because now the teacher's enforcing the kids' rules. So when a rule is broken, the teacher says, well, now, wait a minute. The other kids want this rule enforced. Why are, why are you not doing what the other kids want you to do? You see, when a, in the existing classroom, when a rule is broken, it's the teacher's rule. So when a kid violates a rule, it's the kid against the teacher, one-on-one. In the other situation where the kids set the rule, it's the kid against all the other kids in the classroom. That's totally different because now you're making the other kids mad. Do you want to make the other kids mad at you? 
It's not. No. It's not. You're making me mad. You're making the other kids mad. You see the difference there? In the culture and climate in that classroom, when the kids set the rules, it's in a totally different environment when kids misbehave than it is when the teacher sets the rules. Anyway. Well, great. I appreciate you for all this information. I hope that it has hit home with the parents. And the number one thing that we have to do as parents is get involved in these school systems because if not, our children will fall through the crack holes. It's too many dropouts. We've got to prevent these dropouts, and we definitely have to prevent these school shootings. We need to start getting in contact with the parents. Start focusing on these children who seem like they're in isolation. We cannot overlook them. That's the problem. We've got to start focusing on all this the fancy, glamorous stuff. It's good. Sure, we want about the football games, but let's focus on these um, children as much as possible because I'm getting tired of turning on news. And another school shooting is occurring, and especially when it comes to the five- and six-year-olds like at Sandy Hook. So that's all I have to say. Cleet, if you could just give us your website again where we can um, purchase your book, find out more information about you as well. Well, it's WestGA, West Georgia, westga.edu, front slash, and then up in the left-hand corner of the keyboard is a thing called a tilde, and then C. Buock. C. Buach, C as in cat, B as in boy, U-L-A-C-H. Or you can just go on the web and put in Buach, B-U-L-A-C-H, and you'll find me, uh, C-R, Cletus. There's a lot of stuff on the web. You'll find my website there if you know how to use a computer. And I have offered my services free to Atlanta Public Schools, but that place is in such a turmoil with the new super search and everything, the cheating scandal, they just haven't had opportunity to really get proactive and deal with things. Let's hope their new superintendent can turn that around a little bit. And uh, anybody out there, I will offer my services to any Atlanta public school free of charge. Thank you, Cleet, so much. We do appreciate you for this information. And I hope one day we can cover another topic, maybe when your other book come out and everything, but I do want to get myself. We could talk about how do you reduce discipline problems in schools by 75%. Oh, okay. That, that would take about an hour. Yeah, <laughs> that's, oh, yeah, we definitely need that, yes. Oh, we got so yeah. many turn that cut up. Okay, I will make sure I put that down. Thank you, Cleet. All right, Enjoyed uh, interacting with you and appreciate you. your service you. to the, your listeners. Okay. Thank you. All right, Cleet. Take care. All right, my guest. I appreciate you for tuning in. You know I'm up on Facebook fan page, The Bright Side with Technicia. If we want to give any comments in regards to the show, please do. I'm at Twitter at TDay60. Once again, thank you for joining me. I don't know what I would do without you. I'll probably be dead right now as, as a guest host, as a show host, but... I thank you for tuning in. I'll see you tomorrow at noon. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless.